Welcome to the program. My name is Jesse Peterson. Um, tonight we're talking about a very, very important issue. And I suggest that you call everybody to the TV tonight so that they can see and understand what is happening in our country today, and especially in California. My guests today are, are, are forefront runners of this issue, and I'm very proud to have them on. My first guest is Glenn Spencer. He is the uh, president of Voices of Citizens Together. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Jesse. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And my next guest is Peter Thorine, and he's with Chiller. <laughs> Chiller. All right. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate Thank that. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Um, Glenn, let's start with you first. What is uh, Voices of Citizens Together? What is the purpose of it? Well, first of all, it's a nonprofit California corporation. Uh, it's a grassroots organization. It, it is an organization concerned with illegal immigration. We put out a monthly newsletter, we hold meetings, we hold rallies, and we take a action to try to solve this problem. Uh, whatever funds we get come from individual donations, basically subscriptions to our newsletter. So okay. we have no big donors. The people who are behind us are the grassroots people of Los Angeles and actually all of America. And when you say solve the problem, what problem are you trying to solve? The problem of illegal immigration into the United States. That's what we've been focusing on for over seven years. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Peter? What is your organization about, the purpose of it? Yes, the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles was started in 1986 in response to uh, the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986, which meant for a lot of changes that dealt with the immigrant community. In Los Angeles, it's an import especially important grouping, you know, as you understand, due to the, the, the number of immigrants in the L.A. area. And so uh, a variety of community-based organizations got together and decided that they need a unified voice to address these concerns and disseminate you know, correct information about changes in the law and what this meant for the community. Uh, and so, so Chirla was founded as a small organization back in 1986, a nonprofit organization as well. And uh, we've been uh, going since then, uh, working with the city um, to, to um, host day labor uh, projects and working with a number of foundations and private donations to continue our information dissemination and our coalition building. And you said, and why was this organization formed as a result of what? Of, the, of a 1986 immigration law, which meant that uh, it caused a lot of kind of confusion in the immigrant community because it offered a lot of different options depending on very specific conditions for immigrants who had been here for a number of years. So what law was that? It was the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986. Oh, okay. Uh, let me ask both of you, uh, how do you feel about America? When you think of America, how do you feel about it? I think, opinion of it. No, I think that America is definitely a forefront. I mean, there's, there's in political science, um, there's the, the phrase American exceptionalism, which, which is based on the idea that America as an experiment is a wholly new kind of creation. It's founded on philosophical principles like no other nation has had the opportunity to do before based on its origins as, a, as kind of a new land. And those principles are, are really what have guided us and are, they're embedded in the Constitution and they're embedded in our laws and those are the types of things which make America a great nation. And are you fighting for legal and illegal immigration? To fight for Immigrant. immigration as Immigrant. a cause is, is kind of a strange question. I think that, I mean, we, we fight for the rights of immigrants and immigrant rights are human rights and we see them as, as, as inextricably interwoven and we, and we fight for a set of laws which embodies the roles that immigrants play in the United States. So this legal and illegal? 
Well, we address, I mean, both, certainly both communities we deal with, yes. Okay. And Glenn, how do you feel about America? What is your opinion of America? Well, America was built upon the pillars of Western civilization. Western civilization itself is built on other pillars, some from Africa, some from the Middle East, but we call that collection of principles Western civilization. It really grew out of the Enlightenment. It grew out of the post-Dark uh, Ages, where we had a development of enlightened individuals such as Sir Isaac Newton, uh, who I think formed the foundation and the intellectual foundation for what became our Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And we as a nation, as you know in our language, we're one of the languages is it uses a I as a capital. I, the person, is very important in this nation. But it's also a nation of laws. It's a nation of laws built on those pillars. And it's a nation which is a nation. It's together. It works as one. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. Out of many, one group of people who honor citizenship, the sovereignty of the United States, and who respect our laws. Um, and so what do you have against what his organization is trying to do? Well, first of all, what I have against illegal immigration uh, is manifold. Many of the uh, problems that we face uh, in this country uh, are due to that. Now, as far as Shirley is concerned, uh, I do have some problems with some of their uh, activities. Like since what? You, well, since you asked me, yes. I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have a tape of a meeting that Churla held with officials of the Mexican government uh, where they took computers uh, from Mexico uh, to install in their offices and they were directed, uh, and we, list, we have this on tape, uh, by the Mexican officials to collect information on hate groups in the United States and that they would come by every month and collect that information. I think this was an, I think this is a, this is sort of an insurgency in our midst and a collection of intelligence against uh, Americans who are trying to defend their nation. Why would Mexico want that information? What would they do with it? Well, they're trying to suppress any attempt to stop the invasion of the United States. Really? I mean, Mexico is trying to reverse the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. They want the Southwest back, and they're using a lot of different techniques to do that. One is to infiltrate what otherwise, I'm sure, uh, is a sound and, uh, and, and, and principled organization. And, and what do you have to say about that? Well, if that did occur, it happened before my time at, at Chirla. We don't, we have domestic computers now, or probably from Japan, actually. Um, and, and in terms of monitoring hate groups, well, I mean, I don't think that anyone thinks what the Southern Law and Poverty Center does is a is a bad thing. I don't think what people when people look at Klan Watch and other groups like that is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, we don't normally monitor hate groups. It's not part of our organization. We have distinct projects, and monitoring hate groups isn't one of them. Though I think it would be an ex excellent idea to incorporate. Would you consider Voices of Citizens Together a hate group? Well, I know that we've been on their blacklist uh, as an organization to watch out for, um, and and certainly they're one that we look at as as. Um, I think stirring the, the fomenting the kind of, of uh, xenophobia, which I think is is destructive to any society, especially a society as diverse by nature as Los Angeles. Really, let me ask this: I noticed that in California, uh, and I've been here since 1968, mm -hmm. that uh, many uh, Mexicans are coming in illegally into this city, into the state. How do you feel about that? 
Well, I think that, I mean, I think it's a loaded question to talk about, to talk about Mexicans coming well, in illegally. Well, illegal, period, but okay. especially Hispanics, because they're right at, they, they're here, you know. But I think, any illegals that are coming in, how do you feel about that? Well, I think that what it reflects and what our laws have reflected in many ways is the fact that there's an economic need for undocumented immigrants in the United States, in Los Angeles. Undocumented mean, meaning illegals? Yes. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that what, we're, what our immigration policies fail to do is address root causes of migration. Things like economic polarization, things like environmental degradation, things like treaties which, which allow for free flow of commerce and exploitation of land and natural resources in other areas while not allowing for an equal share of the of population and wealth distribution. Really, Glenn, feel free to jump in, but are you saying that just because the other countries are not doing what they're supposed to do to take care of their people that no. America should allow these people to come in illegal? No, I don't I don't think and it's not to say that we can have open borders or should have open borders. The fact we of the matter no, the fact of the matter is is that immigration is caused by a variety of factors and these factors are largely based on family networks which have largely been established in the United States based on uh, immigration policy of the United States, which has condoned those networks and, and continued those networks. Immigration is based on economic need. Immigration is based on environmental uh, degradation. Immigration is based on civil unrest and things like this. And what the United States fails to do is adequately address immigration as foreign policy rather than solely a domestic policy. We build borders, we build walls, but we don't build into our economic treaties like the European d Union does, uh, provisions which, which account for the, the flow of people as opposed to the flow of money. Yes. Well, of course, the Euro European Union uh, re had prerequisites before entry, Certainly. and uh, those prerequisites could never be met by Mexico right now. Uh, let's talk about uh, these these family reunifications and linkages and uh, we encourage them uh, what we're talking about was a massive group of illegals who entered this the United States and over three million of them were legalized under the 1986 IRCA law mm. this was a terrible mistake by the United States of America one that we're going to live with for years yeah. a lot why of is it why is it a terrible mistake if <clears> I might well we now have seen that at the time that law was passed that was going to end all illegal immigration we had over three million illegal aliens in the united states today a little over ten years later we have over five million and that was supposed to end it what have so they it done? didn't do the job it set out to do what okay Matt, i guess more to the point of the question regardless of numbers because numbers especially in the case of undocumented immigrants are hard to pin down and and i'll grant you what numbers you want to accept but what have they done which has caused the degradation of the United States? Just more specifically so we can get to the meat of the issue. Oh, well, all one has to do is pick up the Los Angeles Times over the last three days, and they are running a series on the destruction of schools in California. How the schools in California in the third grade ranked last with Louisiana and their third grade reading level and rank only second in, this, in the entire United States in mathematics. We used to be number one. That's a perfect example of what has happened. How do you trace that to undocumented immigration? Oh, it's very simple. In, in 1986 to 1996, the total number of students added additional students in California from Hispanic mothers, okay, was over one million. From Asians was about a quarter of a, a, a million. From blacks was about 14,000, and from whites was about 3,000. The tremendous increase of in our schools from 1986 to 1996 has been Hispanic. 
principally from Mexico. In, Lo in Los Angeles County in 1970, there were 18% Hispanics in our schools. Today it's over 70%. Those school systems in the same time have gone from the finest in the country to the worst. Are you saying that they're genetically inferior? No, let me ask you That's this. a strong implication. I didn't say that. It's implicit in your argument. No, what is implicit is when they come in here, they have an average sixth grade education if they're lucky. And what happens is there's a strong, strong linkage between the education of a mother and the aspirations of a child. This is proven historically. It has nothing to do with genes. It has to do with uh, a person's culture. And that's just the way it is. We have moved the United States back 75 years. Let me ask both of you, and I'm aware of this. First, let me ask this. Who you love first, the American people or the people that is trying to come here? Um, I don't think it's a matter of, of choosing between one or the other. I think that... Really? I don't think it is. Well, no. who do you love first? The person that is trying to break into your home or the people that live with you, within your home, your uh, household? Again, I think that's a loaded question. And I think what do you mean by loaded? Because I don't... I mean, the intent of someone breaking into your home is to come and take your items, perhaps hurt your family, perhaps undermine your, your, your stability. But and isn't that the same intent of the people that are breaking into your country? No, I don't think so. Really? I think that with, with economic statistics have proven that, that they have filled a necessary gap in the labor market in the United States. We're dealing with un, uh, unprecedented levels of unemployment in the United States. I would like to say to both of you, uh, uh, oh, you want to respond to that? Well, we, we have uh, low unemployment in the United States, but the people who are really getting hurt by immigration are, are lower level, those who are working their way up the ladder. Just as they started climbing up that ladder, yeah. they had the bottom cut out from underneath them by a flood of workers who will work for next to slave labor Would wages. Would you care to substantiate that with any kinds of statistics or facts? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, that's the rhetorical I, argument. I, 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 I will tell you that in 1984, 80% of the janitor's jobs in Los Angeles were held by blacks and they earned an average of $11 an hour. Today, 95% of those jobs are, are, are held by Hispanics and they earn less than $5 an hour. If I may counter that briefly, yes, yes. the economic situation in the United States, and specifically in California, to link that to anything that has to do with immigration is a very difficult argument to substantiate. And I, would, and I, don't, I don't say that it's not a factor, but as um, a, a fellow named Demetrius Papa Dimitru, he's the uh, senior fellow with the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace States, anyone who is familiar with ground floor economic realities knows that this, the, the flow of undocumented immigration has no great impact in our labor market. In fact, if, you, if immigration today were to have the effect in the labor market that it did in 1907, it would have to be nine times as high. It would have to be nine times as high. Then you couple that with the fact that we have, along with every Western, major Western industrialized country, a, a growth in service sector jobs, which tend to be low paying, and a, uh, a loss of manufacturing jobs, coupled with the exodus of the aerospace industry in California, the housing crisis in the early 90s. And what we have is a situation where many people are forced to look for lower paying jobs, and that depresses wages at the lower rungs. I want to uh, ask this, and then I want to talk about the attitude of the people who seem to be for immigration, both legal and illegal, and the attitudes of those that are against. But I want to ask both of you this question. Uh, because of the kind of work I do, I get a lot of phone calls from people who work in the schools and the hospitals and uh, who lives in the black community. But my first question to, to you, Peter, it would be, how, how does your organization feel about black people in, in, in America and in this city? 
Um, well, again, I think that, that CHIRLA as an organization is, is one of its primary, in its mission statement is to build human relations in, in Los Angeles. It, it doesn't talk about immigrant relations, talk about human relations, and we work, we work with the LCLC, we work with the ACLU, we try to, I mean, we work with uh, uh, Metropolitan Alliance, many of the groups which incorporate a lot of the, the traditionally African-American uh, community-based organizations, and we try to incorporate them into Well, the reason I ask that, because I've discovered over the last 10 years or so that uh, within the black communities mm -hmm. itself, South Central, other areas of Compton, uh, there's some warfare going on between blacks and Hispanics. And because blacks are angry, they don't care if it's legal or illegal. And the warfare is because blacks feel pushed out of their own communities now. Uh, in Southgate, for an example, the whole city council is Hispanic. And there's an anger about that. At Dr. King's hospital, blacks, you know, they feel they own that hospital because they never had one before. They finally got one. And now the Hispanics are coming in and wanting to take over. Uh, the job market is terrible as a result of illegals and, and, and legals. Um, in Watts, for example, blacks feel that they feel the pressure of being pushed out of their own homes and they and looked down upon. Do your organization care about their feelings in that area? Yes, no, greatly. I think that. So I'm, if I'm, they care, why don't they stop both legal and illegal? To straighten out that, to make because I don't think that's the I don't think that's the solution. What I think the solution is is to change our debate, change the frame, the way we frame the debate, the way the terms we use, the way we look at at the fact of the matter is is that what we're doing is 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 what exactly what groups like Voices of Citizens Together want us to do is look at this as a African American versus Latino debate or an African American versus Korean debate. But how do you convince a people that it's okay that someone is coming into your country taking your life away from you? I mean, what kind of debate? Do you say they're coming and let's accept it or you say let's fight to stop it? I say let's get together and look at the roots of the problems which are which are affecting all of those communities and if you're going to... And, and, and what I think are the roots I, of the problem? I think that I, I outlined them the economic roots previously. I but think isn't that, that because that of the overpopulation of? That's an argument to be made. Um, but again, I think that there are other factors which are more overriding, which you've seen throughout the United States, which doesn't is not uh, geographically specific. And in addition, I think it's it is the degradation of our schools. It's the lack of you know some twenty thousand bilingual teachers in our schools. It's the lack of 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 you know decent pay for our schools. It's a lack of of people of teachers people I know who go and teach in Compton and are scared to be at that school, would be scared to be students at that school. We need to change those conditions to change people. We need to take a break. I'm sorry, we need to take a break. When we come back, I'll let Glenn respond to that. Okay. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Jesse Peterson is the founder of the Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. For information, write Post Office Box 86253, Los Angeles, California 90086, or call 1-800-411-BOND. Okay, we're back. My name is Jesse Peterson. We're talking about the immigration issue in California, both legal and illegal immigration. My guest is uh, the president of Voices of Citizens Together, Glenn Spencer. What is your position with uh, Chiller, Peter? I'm the special projects assistant. So, okay, Peter Thoring. Mm -hmm. uh, did you want to respond to the last? Well, 
You know, Peter had talked about economics. Well, I know a little bit about economics. I took a degree in it in college. And uh, all I would say about is, is, is this. You know, any price of any commodity is a function of supply and demand. Yeah. You dry up the supply and the price is going to go up. Now, if we have an unlimited supply of cheap labor, those jobs that they fill, you're going to find, have a lower wage rate. There's no question about it. I mean, it is obvious on the face of it. When you have people who will come into the United States and because they're illegal, will work, be, uh, you know, off the off the books, and will do will work under slave-like conditions because they're afraid of being detected, and people exploit that. You are setting up a perfect situation for a crime. Bring, bring slaves into the United States, okay, flood our cities with them, and then have two contractors out there who are trying to survive. One uses them and the other doesn't. They both have to use them, yeah. okay? And this is what is happening in the construction industry and so many places that I've gone and contractors say, I had to leave California. It was a race to the bottom because we couldn't make any money. Everybody was hiring these illegals and the prices were falling out of the sky. So supply and demand is the issue here and we have a tremendous supply and we have a demand for those illegal workers which has got to be dried up because there is an ocean of them out there and the supply is endless and we will continue to go down this road that we've been on. Now, you might have some guys back in Wall Street who are just delighted with this, okay? And they're raking in the bucks, and they're building those higher, you know, bigger houses up on the hills over here. And they're, you know, the stock is going up. But the little guy on the street, he's out there struggling, okay? Yeah. It's like gladiators. They're enjoying that fight. They love to see those people out there fighting each other for that few little bits of shekels that they throw to them. We've got to stop it. We've got to get Mexico to clean up its act, that corrupt nation. And it's not going to clean it up as long as, you know, it's got that safety valve that keeps sending those who might be able to stop it down there. They, they don't want to put up with them. They leave. So let's close Why that Why not border. focus on that? Get in Mexico. Instead of uh, trying to encourage America to take these people, why not focus, put your energy on Mexico and make them do right toward their people? Well, I think that that is an important issue. I think that certain steps have been taken in that direction, and I think that... Um, and what are some of the steps that have been taken in that? Recently, the, the U.S. and Mexico completed a two-year study, a binational study on the causes of migration and migration between the two countries. It was done by, by 20 independent scholars from each, 10 from each nation, and what they did was try to do a fairly, a fair assessment of, of the causes of migration and, 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 uh, and how, the actual numbers and, and what that implies and what our needs are in addressing those concerns. Now, I think that um, I do think that we need to work with, with if we're talking specifically about Mexico, yes, work with Mexican government. Um, and that's why I think that NAFTA, you know, failed to do some of those things. Oh. It, it, it created a situation in which, you know, the, the forces which impel migration are still going to exist. And if I might briefly respond to a point that uh, Mr. Spencer was making earlier, I did also <laughs> study economics. And I think if we look at the current market, yes, supply and demand, sure. But what we also have is a dramatic decline in the demand for the types of jobs which, uh, which pay well. Um, and, and I certainly don't condone the exploitation of undocumented. Congress just passed a bill to bring in 460,000 high-tech workers into the United States. High-tech workers is different than, they pay than well. manufacturing jobs. Manufacturing jobs which traditionally paid well as a blue-collar occupation. Right. Now, and that's, that's, those are the jobs that we've lost throughout the world. But you, these are high-skilled jobs. We don't need low-skilled people in the United States. The, point, the yeah. fact of the matter also, in addition to what the, uh, what the, the fellow from the, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace says, is that the jobs which 
these undocumented immigrants have traditionally filled in here, in Japan, in other nations, have been the jobs which actually serve as complements, an economic term, complements to the jobs which U.S. citizens are willing to take. And in that sense, they actually support a middle class uh, in a lot of ways. Now, I don't I don't that, disagree that, is, that is the most <laughs> twisted logic I have ever heard. Well, if you want to argue with, with, with Demetrius, <laughs> well, go for it. Uh, sure, I'll be happy to argue with Demetrius. Okay. So the, Can but we the bring point is, uh, <laughs> I don't know, many, he's a busy man. <laughs> many, you know, many labor economists will tell you that this is what, the, I think the conclusion of most of the studies is that people at the lower end of the rung, and unfortunately those are black people for the mm. most part, or not for the most part, but a large part, are those are the ones who are really impacted in this country. And we have to stop and ask the yeah. question, if that's the case, why isn't you know someone like the good Reverend Jesse Jackson speaking out about this issue when it's his people, the poorest of his followers, who are being hurt the most? Why is that? I don't see black <coughs> leaders speaking out at for or against. Well, I guess they're for generally it in a solid know, way, but I don't hear them speaking out about it. Uh, Especially with 187, you remember that. Mm -hmm. uh, most black people voted for 187. And yet, I don't hear the leaders speaking out about uh, against what's happening. Right, Why is that? Yeah, you know, the Reverend Jackson has, has been traditionally kind of on our side of these issues, and I think it's largely to do with the way that they're looking at the issue. And I think it's a it's a, a perspective. Do they look at it as a race issue or no? An and I don't issue? think that they look at it as a polarization. The American economy has become more and more polarized, and that has affected all races and, and all. But how is it that they are not speaking out against it when the people that they represent? Is against immigration. Well, if you they look want at something look, to be done. look for instance at, at, at Proposition 227 in the United States, in California, sorry. Uh, you know, if you look at the, say, you know white. What? I'm so sorry. We have one minute, and I need to wind oh, okay. down. 30 minutes is Certainly. up already, but we're going to do a part two okay. series on this. And when we come back next week, which we will tape tonight, that's why we're going to wear the same thing, <laughs> I want to talk about the attitude uh, of the immigrants that are coming out of our country today. I noticed that their attitude is unlike the attitude of people who used to come here. They want to come, they want to become an American citizen, they want to take on the personality of America. But the people that are coming here now seem to hate America. They seem to want to do everything they can to degrade the country or destroy America. So when we come back next week, can we talk about that? Certainly. And I want to talk about some of the people who are behind these different groups, both groups, to understand what is going on. I appreciate you tuning in, and we will do a part two next week. So be sure to tune in. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jesse. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. I can't believe how fast that went by. Yeah. Okay, welcome to the program. We are doing a two-part series. This is the second part on uh, immigration, legal and illegal immigration. I think that both of them are very important to all of us in America. My name is Jesse Peterson, and uh, I'm having back with me Glenn Spencer, who is the president of Voices of Citizens Together. And Glenn, I appreciate you staying over. It's a pleasure being here, Jesse. I also want to say I've been knowing you now for a long time. Sure. I've heard about you and know what you're doing, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Glad to be here. I just read about you in the uh, uh, New York Times. and well, The New Times New and Times New York and, Times. Yeah. So how do you feel about what they were saying about you? Well, it really gives us an opportunity to, to contrast two approaches to journalism. In April, I was interviewed by two print journalists, uh, one by the name of Verhovic, another by the name of Russell, uh, Ron Russell, Mark Verhovic. 
Uh, they both interviewed me. I provided information to them. But the responses were somewhat different, if I can just explain for yes. a moment. Uh, here we have the New York Times of, of April 14, uh, 1998. And on a front page story, it begins down here. Uh, they go in and talk about the problem of illegal immigration and dual citizenship, the dual nationality issue with oh, Mexico. Yeah. And uh, there's a big report on it in here. And I am quoted uh, in, in this newspaper, if I can just refer to it just, yes. just, mo just very quickly. I mean, it says, Theodore Roosevelt once called dual nationality a self-evident absurdity. And other critics likened it to polygamy. Some anti-immigration groups are incensed over New Mexican law. The president of one, Glenn Spencer, a voice of citizens together based in Southern California, described it quote, as, quote, nothing less than a large-scale movement by the Mexican government to reverse the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Under the treaty, Mexico gave up much of what is now the American Southwest after a war with the United States exactly 150 years ago. They go on in the New York Times to give a rather balanced report yeah. based on my interview and information that I provided. On the other hand, an interview with Ron Russell, uh, he was provided with the same information that I provided to the New York Times, and I ended up on the front page uh, of the New Times as Bilza Bubba, okay? L.A. immigrant basher, basher extraordinaire Glenn Spencer warns anyone who will listen of the browning of California and the coming uh, war with Mexico by Ron Russell. Now, this is a newspaper well-known for its filthy ads and the money they make off of that they use to attack me. Yeah. But I'd be more pleased uh, uh, with the results of the New York Times assessment of the information, uh, and I think America be, would be uh, uh, well advised to look at this newspaper as opposed to this piece of trash. <laughs> How old is Warriors of Citizens together? Uh, <clears throat> seven years old, a little oh, okay. over seven years old. And so you, did you start because you saw what was happening with immigration? Yes. That's why you I had spent about ten years working with American Indians up in Montana and Wyoming, and after coming back to California, I saw tremendous changes that took place, and one thing led to another, and I decided that uh, I just had to do something about it as an American citizen. Yeah. Uh, Peter Thorin mm -hmm. from uh, Chella. Chella, yes. Chella. Mm -hmm. And you're the project assistant. Yes. Uh, um, how, do you consider uh, organization like Glenn's organization racist? Well, um, I, think th I, I think that it doesn't do anyone any good to label that organization as racist. What I think it does is foster the environment of xenophobia and foster environment. Uh, it, it proposes simple solutions to complex problems and in doing so it leads people to jump to the simple conclusions and a lot of the a lot of the time those conclusions may be racist so i think that on the whole as a as it functions in society uh... it it does help foster those kinds of tendencies but i don't think that i don't think that i have either the factual grounds or the inclination to label his organization racist when you say uh... first tell me what your organization is about so that people can, uh, who just tuned in for the first time would know right. about you. Right. The Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles uh, was founded in 1986. It's a uh, group of over 100 community-based organizations uh, and foundations in the LA area who got together and decided that what they needed was a kind of a centralized voice on immigration issues and primarily due to changes in laws, complex changes, uh, a, a, a 
clearinghouse of information to, to let the community know how these laws were going to affect them. Well, you said uh, they are trying to solve complex problem with simple solution. Give me an example of a complex problem that they are trying to solve in a simple way. I think, I mean, if, if for those of you who were watching last week, I think it's, it's clear that the, the economic issue is one which is extremely complex. The trans, uh, transnational trends in, on economic scale, global scale, multinational corporations, uh, international treaties, uh, changes in, in structural shifts in the economy, and, and these have all led to many different economic changes in the past 10 years. At the same time, there's a correlation. You know, we've got, uh, we have a number of immigrants in, in the L.A. County especially and there is, you know, we can draw a, a correlation between those two things over time, but to, to, draw, to draw inferences of causation between the two is where I think that right. the argument goes wrong. You know, and then I'll let you respond. Yeah. I'm not a smart guy, so I, I want to confess that now. So I operate in a simple manner. Sorry. When I look at the situation, it looked like to me uh -huh. if we were to close the borders, if we were to deport uh, illegals, if we were to uh, cut back on uh, legal immigration, cut down on it at least for a while, and that seemed to me uh, it would open up the opportunity for the American citizen to pull themselves up, you know, work and get their community together, educate the American kids, and then we can think about reopening and, or whatever we need to do. How is that, am I thinking too simple here? Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not fair to you to say that that's too simple. I mean, it seems like a, a, an easy answer. It seems like a, a good answer to many people. Um, but I it's think not. What it fails to address is a lot of concerns. Um, primarily, uh, the globalization of basically everything in, in the world today. And, you know, uh, Mr. Spencer's website is a perfect example. He gets, you know, thousands of hits, and those come from all over the world, all over the nation. And the fact of the matter is, is that the, the U.S. as an entity is, is changing in its role in relation to other countries. And, and we see money flowing out of the country and into the country. And to try and close off borders is, well, first of all, it's been largely ineffectual uh, in the past. It hasn't, the, uh, undocumented immigration through the borders has not decreased. Uh, and the argument there is that these, the, the trends in other countries and the, our relationship to other countries will continue. And those, and those relationships create situations in which people feel motivated to move around. Why do you call them undocumented instead of illegals? Well, I think that I illegals is, um, because we're, that's the only label we're applying to people. And to label them only by illegal is to put a label on them, which I don't think is fair. But put an undocumentary, undocumented, that's a label too. It is, it is a label. So and I think it's a little, why not use a proper one? Well, it is a proper one. They are without <laughs> documents. Um, I think it, what you can do yeah. is you can talk, talk, uh, talk about a class of people as illegal aliens. Now, if you look at, a, look at an individual, you can say he's undocumented because I have no proof that he is an illegal alien. So I can understand why you wouldn't say, hey, there's an illegal alien over there unless he admits it. But there is a class of people called illegal aliens, and we oftentimes ask the question, what part of illegal don't you understand? <laughs> but uh, coming back to some of the points he made first, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, you know, the economics and, and uh, the impact. Uh, one of the best known economists uh, dealing with this issue is a Harvard professor of economics. His name is George Borjas. And he has established uh, clearly uh, that the uh, people on the lower rung of the uh, job ladder 
in the United States have had, had their real wages reduced by 17 percent hmm. by immigration. That's millions upon wow. millions upon millions of Americans who are looking at a lower standard of living. That's real, that's measurable, and that's a terrible impact. But the other thing I wanted to mention, to talk about, if I could say uh, this, uh, there are a lot of names that are called, uh, us and so forth, uh, not by the LA Times, but uh, rags, by, like the New Times, who are just trying to get attention. Uh, and that's what a lot of these people are doing, is trying to get attention. You talk about xenophobia. You know, what is xenophobia? What is it? It is, it is the unfounded fear of foreigners. It's the unfounded fear of foreigners. Now, I'd like you to listen to this, and I'm going to interpret it for you just for a moment. Now, just, just, just a moment. Now, what that was, that's the man speaking. And by the way, I taped him on this machine right here <laughs> at the Southwestern University School of Law on February 6th. That man speaking is Angel Pescador Osuna, who's the Consul General of Mexico in Los Angeles. And what he was saying is, he said, even though I'm saying this part serious and part joking, I think we are practicing La Reconquista in California. Here you have the second most powerful Mexican official in the United States saying that there's a 50-50 chance that Mexico is invading the United States with the intent of La Reconquista, which has a very specific meaning. And what is that? It came, came out of Spain uh, when the Spaniards threw out the Moors in, in, I think it was the 12th century. They called it La Reconquista. And essentially it means throwing out the Europeans from California. Now, if you don't believe that, I have one other little clip to play for you. And this, uh, just one other little clip. And you'll be amazed. Remember, 187 is the last gasp of white America in California. Now, 187 was the proposition that was passed uh, a couple of years ago in California. Well, that's the same guy speaking right now? This is Art Torres, who was the chairman of the California Democratic Party, speaking before 400 Latino leaders. And for those that didn't hear, what did he just say? He said, remember, 187 is the last gasp of white America in California. So when you talk about xenophobia, the unfounded fear of foreigners, we see an overwhelming number of Mexicans flooding across our border. We hear their officials saying that they may be practicing La Reconquista, taking it back, conquering California, a foreign power. We hear one of their most premier leaders saying that this Proposition 187, which uh, most blacks voted for, okay, yes. uh, is the last gasp of white America in California. I don't think he's saying, I think he said it's the last gasp of Americans in California. And I think we're faced with a foreign force which has hostile intent. Why don't you respond to that, Peter? I think that he's greatly overestimating uh, any intent on behalf of of immigrants. I, first of all, I don't think that any intent they might have is hostile. And secondly, by our experience trying to trying to organize uh, immigrant community and, and, and disseminate information to them, that you know they would love it if they were a little bit more organized and could get that information out to them a little bit more expediently, and, and that they, they had that kind of you know that kind of cohesiveness. How do you feel about what you just heard on the tape? Well, I, I've spoken to people who were at the uh, the uh, consul's uh, presentation. And as you as you mentioned appropriately, uh, it was half joking, and I think that it was a flippant remark, which which um, 
to take in in this context um, it does appear to be you know a, a poor poor choice of words and I don't I don't disagree with that I do think that did he, he apologize for saying that I don't know I'm not sure I'm not wouldn't you want to make sure that he apologized in case he well I'd only heard of this actually after that yeah, you want to why God if I may re <laughs> react to you uh, uh, I put that quote up on our web page in fact I took that audio digitized it and put it up on the internet and the consul general wrote me a letter Oh, really? Yes, he did. And <laughs> wanted to clarify what he had said and asked me then to post his letter up on our webpage, which I did. Did he apologize? It, no, he didn't apologize. He only made it worse. Uh, that's one of the reasons that the New York Times, when they saw that letter to me and Voice of Citizens together from the Mexican Consul General, which only made matters worse, this is one of the reasons they ran this as a front page story. It's also one of the reasons that the New Times, which is trying to attack us and confuse the issue, made me out as the devil. When it's the United States that's being invaded by Mexico and we're suddenly uh, represented as a bunch of devils and defending our nation against an invasion by a foreign power. And I think it's an outrage. That's what I think. Peter, I want to talk about the attitude of the new immigrants that are coming into our country. Uh, in the past, when we read about immigrants and, you know, we hear about them, they had a love for the country. They want to come here and become an American citizen. They want to speak like Americans. They want to think and act like Americans. I noticed that this new group of immigrants, both legal and illegal, that are coming in, they seem to be coming in with a handout. You know, I want free programs, welfare, and things like that. Uh, a lot of the Hispanics are coming in with the notion of taking over at least a portion of America, taking it back. Do you remember about two years ago there was a, uh, a demonstration held at the Federal Building in West L.A.? Do you remember that, mm -hmm. when that on the 4th of July? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the uh, Hispanic group came and attacked the American citizens, calling them names and races and all kind of things. We're going to take back uh, the West Coast or the West area here. What do you think about that? Did your organization support that? Were well, you a part of that? Um, I, I'm not sure. I was before I was with Chirla, and I yeah. don't believe we were a part of that. Yeah, they um, did. I read it somewhere. I just wanted to, you know, they, mm -hmm. there's a list of, uh, I wish I had the paperwork with me, but there's a list of sponsors who supported uh, that okay, group. Okay, no, I'd have to that. know more about yeah. that. that but how do you feel about the attitude of the, of the legal well, and illegal immigration? Right. I think that I think that um, your evidence is largely anecdotal. It's based on a, some personal experiences you've had, which I think, uh, and generalizations that you've made, which I think are informed by a society which has, you know, has passed Prop 187. This is a society which has which has cultivated that kind of attitude. Now, if we look back in history, we look at, you know, German immigrants coming over. We look at Irish immigrants coming over. There was the same kind of outrage about those waves of immigration. Now, what we see now when there are more, say, Latin Americans uh, entering the United States is, is the exact same kind of pattern. Now, if you hold on briefly for a moment, um, we, we also see that they, that they inhibit many of the values, uh, they, they, I'm, I'm sorry, they, they possess many of the values that we traditionally uh, call American values, the, the who, support who, of families. Who is this? The, the immigrants. Oh, okay. um, support of families. The American, American family is in, is in shambles. Um, in terms of use of, of welfare, uh, they, if, you, if you look at people who come here to work and people who come here to join their families, excluding refugees because I think they're a special consideration, uh, cash assistance uh, immigrants use less than, than native-born Americans. Um, uh, immigrants contribute some $70 billion to the economy and receive $42 billion in services, including education. You know, these numbers are crazy. 
in Los Angeles County, they did a study, and it was it was sponsored by the LA County Board of Supervisors, and they proved that immigration is just was destroying the county budget, and that's why the federal government is pumping about seven hundred million dollars a year into this economy, into our health care system, and all the rest, and into our prison systems. We're getting two billion dollars a year in California, over two billion dollars. And one of the reasons that they looked at that one study, you had you had a group of people. The vast majority of immigrants in Los Angeles County paying taxes, okay, at one-seventh the rate of American citizens. One-seventh the rate. You have a family of four, okay, sending four, uh, with four kids, which was typical, $6,000 apiece to send those children to school because of bilingual education. That's $24,000 a year, and the, the family, okay, averaged... Total taxes, everything, sales tax, uh, uh, even the, the lottery that they guessed that they paid, 1200 bucks a year. Okay, $1,200 a year versus uh, $24,000. I mean, it's crazy. It, it's breaking the back of California, and there's no question about it. There's no doubt that that these funds may be misallocated, and that's, that's been the consistent finding of all of these studies. You're looking at an L.A. County study, L.A. County and the state levels are the ones who have consistently lost in, in, with, the, with the revenue from taxes from immigrants. Now, well, hold on not, one moment. No, now, I, if you talk about $70 million, million dollars, I need to take a quick break. Okay. I promise I'll okay. let you finish. Right. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a moment. I apologize. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. Jesse Peterson is the founder of the Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. For information, write Post Office Box 86253, Los Angeles, California 90086, or call 1-800-411-BOND. Okay, we are back, and we're talking about immigration. This is, uh, to me, is the, the hardcore the problem in California, at least today, and across the country. Uh, Peter, you was want to finish up with that? Oh yes, I just wanted to make the point that that uh, the the revenues generated from taxes from immigrants have traditionally and consistently been found to uh, be misallocated largely to the federal government and the state governments kind of lose out. Uh, when we talk about, though in general, the revenues as a whole being seventy uh, billion dollars and the services collected being forty two billion dollars, there, there's a clear excess somewhere and it probably lies in the federal government. That money being poured back into LA County and being poured back in the states, I have no problem with that. If they want to get those funds where they deserve to be, that's perfectly fine. Well, me. let me just say this, uh, anybody who will call you, you can get our number from you, Yes. we'll give them, we'll fax them the summary sheet from the LA County study, that $1,200 a year in taxes was all taxes, federal, state, and local, uh, the, the numbers were very clear, uh, it is devastating uh, to the economy of California, and every taxpayer in California pays an additional $1,200 a year uh, because of immigration. Wow, this is the paper I was speaking of, uh, when they had the Fourth uh, of July rally, this was sent out to organizations who disapproved mm -hmm. of the Fourth of July rally. But I, I just still want to get back a little bit to the attitude of these people. Uh, there's a lot of anger in our, especially in California, but in our country, against legal and illegal immigration, but especially illegal immigration because they seem to be more hostile uh, toward America and especially the Hispanic group. 
uh, Mexican group, whatever you call them. Um, on the 4th of July, they came and they threw bricks and they threw cans at, at the elderly people. They, they were very violent and they talked about how much they hated the white man and, and it's his fault and they're gonna take the, the, the city back and the white man is out. Uh, you have never heard that kind of stuff spoken uh, before. Well, I think that, again, I think that that is anecdotal. I think that the... What do you mean by anecdotal? I mean that it's, it's based on perhaps one or two people. I, no, I, it was a whole I returned, bunch of them. I returned today from, from Sacramento. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a rally at the Capitol at Sacramento today, which I attended. Uh, in attendance were uh, Central American uh, groups, Central American refugees, were uh, Latino immigrant groups, were Russian immigrant groups, were largely represented, Filipino, Asian, uh, Pacific Islander, uh, you, you know, run, ran the gamut. African-American groups were all there, and we were all supporting the same issues. Yeah, if so, I may if, if yeah. I interrupt at this point, talk about anecdotal, and there was a vicious attack yes. on Americans and, and of all colors. As a matter of fact, one of the primary targets of that, uh, of that attack was Isola Foster, who happens yeah. to be a black American lady. Uh, and she was, that's one of the reasons they were so angry, because she had come out in support of the Gallagher Amendment as part of the H.R. 2202. But, you know, on February 15th, there was a soccer game played in the L.A. Coliseum, and, and people don't, probably don't know about this, but uh, there was such a ruckus at that soccer game. It was a game between the United States and Mexico, and it was widely reported as to what happened. And the sport, one of the sports writers in the Los Angeles Times, and it was uh, was talking about it, and he said there were 91,775 uh, fans in the Coliseum. 91,000 of them were rabid anti-Americans. And he said it looks like, you know, it was an attack and a war declared yeah. on America. And That's one, one woman called about. it a cauldron of hatred. And here, here was a woman who said that she had, it was a letter to the Orange County Register. She had experience, you know, on the, the soccer fields of England and elsewhere where they got really hyped up. That was an out, outrageous a demonstration of hatred against America. Anyone carrying the American flag in the Coliseum in Los Angeles was attacked, and urine was actually thrown on their U.S. Marine Corps band. Now that's anecdotal, but it's over a hundred, probably over a hundred thousand people who were demonstrating against our nation and our flag, and that's very disturbing to me. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, I read the reports of that game, and and yes, there was outstanding support for the Mexican team, and. Um, as far as anecdotal, yes, it is anecdotal. Did 100,000 people throw urine on the uh, U.S. Marine Band? No, I suppose not. And so, again, you know, there's, we can latch on to anything, and we can do the same thing back and forth. It doesn't get us anywhere if we want to have an open debate about immigration. immigration I want to ask this, and then we, I want to ask about dual citizenship, because I know that they're fighting for that, or at least talking about it for sure. So as a white American <laughs> male, you don't have any concern that when these people get what they want, want and it looked like they will, that they're going to turn on you as a white American male? You don't have any concern about that at all? I, I, I hesitate to ask what you mean by get what they want. Um, right now we have the, the, uh, the Speaker of the Assembly, Antonio Villaraigosa. Um, you know, he's in a very uh, powerful position. Uh, he came up from the barrio, and, and he, uh, he is in one of the most powerful positions in California today. And no, I have no fear about that. I think that, I think that it's the kind of uh, cohesiveness that we need to see, we need to strive for. We, it's, it was seen in the civil rights movement and it's seen continuously. It wasn't the same thing as the civil rights movement. It wasn't the same thing at all. We're fighting against people now who want to come into our country, first of all, illegally, and then they want to take over the country. 
I, you know, <laughs> again, I think that those <laughs> claims are unfounded. I would, I, I would just simply argue that those claims are unfounded. I suggest you look into it. You know, I think you should I look into it. Well, you know, you, you mentioned it. Antonio Villarigosa. We all say, you know, I'm yeah. concerned about you. I, th I think we should be. Yeah. But I, I think Antonio Villarigosa is a perfect example. Here was a guy who was the head of Mecha when he was in college. Mecha stands for Movimiento Estudiantil Chicano de Aslan. And this is the movement of the Chicano students of Aslan. What's Aslan? A-Z-T-L-A-N. That's what they call the American Southwest. And the constitution of the Mecha group that I have says that they're dedicated to the physical liberation of that land. Now, okay, he was in college. I have watched Antonio Villarigosa. He has gone to marches which no other Chicano leader would go to because they're so radical. He, we have him on tape saying that any Chicano who is elected or Latino goes to the Sacramento and it doesn't vote uh, for, to, to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens, shouldn't be there. He is advocating granting full rights and privileges of people who shouldn't even be in the country. He is a perfect example of the kind of subversion that is going on in our country and that the Democratic Party should be ashamed of itself for, for electing this guy who failed the bar four times. You know, this is a, uh, never could pass it. I mean, here he is, the shining example. Because of time, I'm so sorry to cut all you right. off. Are you familiar with that? Did you know he was into all that? I did not know he was into to major, but I know many people who have been, and I certainly don't think it's But now that you know it, does matter? Uh, I don't. I think that he's mischaracterizing uh, Villaraigosa's stands. Uh, I think that. Um, I mean, any, I, at the rally today when Villaraigosa spoke, people yelled, "Don't sell us out!" They were so worried about him coming to sell out, and he's been compromising as any politician does. You know, um, people should be concerned about this. And if you want more information about either one of these organizations or both, you can call me at my 800 number, and I believe it's on the screen. But if it's not, it's one eight hundred. 411-2663. That's 1-800-411-BOND. Glenn has a website. Um, I know you have a phone number, if not a website. a website. But you can call me and we will get, get the information for you. All right? America need to wake up and do it now. I appreciate you guys coming on. Thank Good you night. Much.